Good morning. My name is Ben. I'm at the Jubilee Centre and I'm here to bring the word of God to us this morning. Now, we're back in the story of Abraham, which means we're in Genesis chapter 14. So if you want to grab a Bible and turn to that section, we'll get into the story in a bit. But let me just give you a little bit of context and a little bit of a preview. So the context is that Abraham and Sarah have been to Egypt. Um, he's lied about his wife being his sister, but Pharaoh has blessed them and given them much. And God has blessed them through Pharaoh. And then um, Abraham and Lot separate because the, the herdsmen are arguing and Lot chooses the green fields and Abraham goes the other way. And God is about to make amazing promises to Abraham. But before he gets there, there's this incident, this, this story that occurs and it would make a good blockbuster movie. There's action, there's intrigue, there's heroism, there's rescue. It's all in our story today. And we're gonna work through the story together bit by bit, and we'll see that there's a battle. In fact, there's two battles going on, but there's a big battle involved. And the battle is this, to see who is the king, to see who's the one who deserves honor, the one who rules and reigns. And so the big question for us today is who is the king? Who is the king? Now, some of you, maybe under the age of 12 or 13, might want to answer that question in the chat right now. You might want to have a guess and put who you think is the king as we look through this story. As it go through, you may want to change your mind. You may want to change your guess, and that's fine. It'd be good to hear what you're thinking as you listen to what we are saying today. So, we're going to start Genesis 14, verses 1 to 12 to start off with. Now, uh, I'm going to pronounce all these names confidently, but I'll be honest with you, this has been very difficult and I've not got through this without stumbling, having read it a few times, so do bear with me, I'll do my best. Chapter 14, verse 1. At this time, Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, Ketaloma, king of Elam, and Tyl, king of Goim, went to war against Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admar, Shemeba, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Sidon, the Salt Sea. For twelve years they had been subject to Ketaloma, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Ketaloma and the kings allied with them went out and defeated the Rephaites in Ashtaroth, Keren, Kername and the Zuzites in Ham, the Emites in Sheva, Kiriathim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as El Paran near the desert. Then they turned back and went to En Misphat, that is Kadesh, and then conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites as well as the Amorites who were living in the Hazazon Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admar, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sidim against Ketaloma, king of Elam, Talda, king of Goim, Am, Raphael, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings against five. Now, the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell, in, fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, then they went away. They also carried off Abraham's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Thank you very much. Apart from lots of unpronounceable names, what exactly is going on here? Well, the situation is we have four kings 
who are ruling over five kings. Four kings ruling over five kings. But the four kings go off to war and they're successful. Hurrah! They win lots of battles. Four kings come back and these five kings, I think, we imagine, say it's a good time to rebel and say we don't want you to rule over. So they come out to fight against them, but the four kings win. These guys run off into the hills and into the tar pits and they're defeated. Now, for us as well, what happens is that because Lot was living near Sodom, he gets carried off as well. He gets taken away, he gets captured. And so I wonder what, I wonder what it feels like to be Lot in that situation. There's a battle around you. You've been chatting with your uncle about where to live and you've chosen the green lands. Maybe it wasn't a choice of faith. Maybe it was f just facts you were looking at, just the information you could see in front of you. But you've chosen it. And do you really deserve to be taken off as a captive, to be taken prisoner? It's not your battle. You're not really there supporting the king of Sodom. You just happen to be living nearby and you're taken off into battle. All because of these worldly, political, military battles that are happening around you. And I wonder, I wonder whether, whether your life feels like that at the moment. Do you feel like you're surrounded by battles that aren't yours, but they're affecting you? Do you feel like you've been taken off by worldly things that are happening or worldly powers or just overwhelmed by all the things that you're facing at the moment? And you're like Lot, just carried off, unable to face it. You see, even though we're the people of faith, we're not immune to the effects of a broken world. We don't escape, escape the effects of sin that happened centuries ago, that impact us, that sin is in people's lives and it affects the way we behave and we're not immune to a broken world. For me, sometimes it feels like being on a bouncy castle. Life's like that, you're on the bouncy castle and you know, even if you've not been in for one for a while, you know they're good fun. You can bounce up and down that sensation in the middle of the air, just feeling weightless for a second. And then you're coming down, but on a packed bouncy castle, if you fall down and everyone's bouncing, if you're like young, like two or three, I've seen my kids do this before, and they try to get back up initially, oh, uh, it gets quite scary. People are bouncing around and you can't get back up. You've lost control. It's like the worldly powers are forcing you to stay down and you just can't get back up. And then some toddler with a heavily filled nappy is bouncing nearby and you're like, no, Lord, please. It can't get any worse. But then the nappy comes off and you're like, oh my goodness, what's going on? This isn't fair. Why did I deserve this? I just chose the green land. I just chose to live the best way I can. And yet this is what's happening. So in answering our question, who is king? It can feel like worldly powers, all the things that are around us are king. When we look at the impact of COVID, what Brexit may or may not produce in this country. When we look at what's happening at school where you might be struggling or people are bullying you. Maybe in the workplace, you're just finding it hard to get on with people through no fault of your own. Maybe you're sharing your faith with your neighbors or with, uh, with parents in the schoolyard and you're being blanked. There are things that are hard and it can feel like the world is against us and it's winning. It can feel like worldly powers are king. But will worldly powers reign? Will they be king? Well, let's look in the story. We pick it up at verse 13. One who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, the Hebrew. 
Now Abraham was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorites, a brother of Eschol and Anah, all of whom were allied with Abraham. When Abraham heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 380 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abraham divided his men to attack them and routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back his relative lot and possessions, and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. What a rescue! What is, do worldly powers reign? Well, no, the people of faith charge in. Abraham, the man of God, the man with the promises. His, his relative has been taken captive and he, without taking a single moment to think about his own safety, gathers his friends, his alliance, his 380 trained men, and they go and defeat the four kings. He rescues Lot, his possessions and his family. It's wonderful, it's miraculous, it's mighty, it's powerful, exciting. Abraham breaks in and that's us, isn't it? Is that us, the people of faith? We're the ones with the, the promises of God and we're releasing the oppressed. Romans 5 verse 17 says this, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that woman, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life? That's us, isn't it? We shouldn't be at the bottom of the bouncy castle. We should be reigning in life, shouldn't we? Maybe we should be at the top of the castle wall. Did, I don't know if you did this, but I, I, it's something that me and my friends used to do. You, when you, you run, jump, and try and get on top of the castle wall and lie on top. And if you did, I was like, yeah, you're the king of the castle. You're on top of the castle wall. Whoop, whoop. And that's Abraham here, isn't it? He's rescued him. He's on the top of the castle wall. And we're those people of faith. Should we be on the top of the castle wall celebrating? Yeah, we're reigning in life. We've got it sorted, we've nailed. We shouldn't be on the, the doldrums being knocked around by worldly powers. This is something to be really careful about because there's a danger that we wander into something technically called an over-realized eschatology, eschatology even. In other words, we're pulling forward the eternal promises of God planned in the future for us for now. Jesus has come, he will come again. And we're claiming things for the future, for now. You see, we're told we'll suffer. We're told that we'll struggle. We're told that if we're a disciple, we must take up our cross and follow God. We will have difficulties. We will have challenges. And when we reign in life, it's less about our situations. It's more about our attitude. It's more about our spiritual place, our home in Christ, what has been achieved by him. That's the point. That's what the context points to, what Jesus has done for us. There's a story in the Gospels where Jesus sends out his disciples and they go and do amazing things. They see demons cast out and people healed. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven. But then he says this in Luke 10, verse 20. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He adjusts their perspective, what they should be excited about. And if we flip it around and we can look at the worldly powers and what's going on and say, oh, we're the bottom of the bouncy castle. Or we can say we're the top 
and we're the king of the castle. But, but Jesus' point is this, it was what he would say to Abraham is, in fact, don't celebrate in that victory. Celebrate that you're the man of faith, the people of faith with the promises that, that God's got you and he's gonna rescue you and he's gonna use you and he's got you in his hand. You see, we can have those moments where we think we should be reigning in life in our situations, but then we see healing. We see friends come to know Jesus. And the danger is we can get so excited about these things that we forget about the truth of what Jesus has accomplished for us in eternity, that we're seated in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Don't rejoice that you're at the top of the bouncy castle, that you've rescued someone who's been a prisoner, that you've set someone free. Don't rejoice in those things too much. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Abraham successfully rescues Lot. Abraham defeats the four kings that had defeated the five kings, which makes him the king of nine kings. He's the king of kings. So the question is, is Abraham king? And should we feel like we are the king in our lives, always reigning, always ruling over every situation? Well, let's carry on. Verse 17, after Abraham returned from defeating Cataloma and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high and he blessed Abraham saying, blessed be Abraham by God most high, creator of heaven and earth and blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Does Abraham think he's king? Does Abraham think he's ruling and reigning over everyone and everything? No, and we see that immediately. He's met by two kings, the king of Sodom and the king of Salem, Melchizedek. And Melchizedek speaks first. And Melchizedek comes to give him bread and wine and sustenance, and he comes to bless him. And we have no idea how Abraham recognized him. We're not given a history of Melchizedek. We don't know if he had an interaction with him before that. And it's almost like he's the first Old Testament celebrity that maybe has heard of him, he's rumored, or maybe he turns up and there's some sort of glow about him and he recognizes this is someone important. This is the king. He deserves honor. This is the king. Well, this is what Hebrews 7 verses 6 to 7 says about Melchizedek. This man did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. So Abraham gives him a tenth and he's blessed by him. And those two facts alone point to this. Abraham knew there was someone greater. Abraham knew there was someone greater than him. He's just rescued Lot. He's just rushed in, saved him. Wonderful, miraculous delivery but he knows he's not the king. And for us, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of peace, he points to a greater king. Psalm 110 verse four says this, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews applies that to Jesus. Jesus is the one in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek points to Jesus. 
And verse 20, what does Melchizedek say? Blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Melchizedek, the king of peace, pointing towards Jesus for us. And to Abraham says, look, let there be no doubt. You've had a great victory. You're the people of faith. You're the man of faith. You've got the promises. But let there be no doubt. Your success was because God rescued Lot. It was because God used you. Because God, the most high God, delivered your enemies into your hand. Don't get above your station. You're not the king, Abraham. There is one who is better one who is bigger. Now, I suspect at the start, when people were typing the answers to the question, who is their king? I'm hoping Jesus featured there. I'm hoping he did. And we see at this moment in time that he is the king of kings. 1 Timothy 6.15, Jesus, king of kings, Lord of laws. And this bit of the story allows us to see, truly, he is the king. Jesus is the king of kings. Melchizedek and Abraham root Abraham's success in God. Not his friends, not his alliances, not his 380 trained men, not his strategy, not even his level of faith, but God, because God is king. And for us, whatever successes we have in life, Yes, we'll have applied effort and discipline and skill, but you know what the source of our success is? It's the King of Kings. It's Jesus. We're not king. Abraham's not king. Melchizedek's not king. Jesus, the God most high, he is the king. But is he really? Is he really king? Let's see what happens next in the story. The king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the people, keep the goods for yourself. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me to Aina, Eskol and Mamre. Let them have their share. The king of Sodom comes out to meet Abraham and says, look, you can keep the loot, you can keep the spoils, but I'd like, I'd like the people back, my people back if that's all right. Abraham refuses. He says, no, you have it. All I wanna take is the things that my men have eaten and my friends deserve for what they've done. As for me, I don't want anything from you because I don't want you to say that you've made me rich. What's going on here? You see, we can look at this story and think it's just about the battle, the rescue, the excitement, the action. That's what it's all about. But there's a more important battle going on in Abraham's heart. And for you and I, we can look at life and think it's all about the battle. It's all about the battle. It's all about being on the bottom of the bouncy castle and trying to get out of it. That's the battle. It's the physical battle that we face with it's COVID or, or job loss or, or whatever we're surrounded by. But there was another battle going on in Abraham's heart, and that's a battle for trusting God as the true king of his life. You see, before he fought this physical battle, he fought a spiritual one. 
It points to this in verse 22. But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, that I will not accept, I will accept nothing belonging to you. So it's in the past tense. And it sounds like that before he went into battle, he said, God, victory is in you. I want to be confident and trust in you. And so therefore, I don't want the spoils. This is not about the spoils. This is about Lot and rescuing him and about success for your namesake. And so when the king of Sodom comes and says, you can have the spoils, you can have the loot. He says, no, I don't trust in money. I don't trust in you. I'm trusting only and totally in God. Maybe he's learned that lesson from Egypt where he got blessing. He thought, no, no, I don't want to make that mistake again. I want to look around me and think, God has given me this rather than other people. I've trusted in God rather than other people. Abraham was trusting in God as his king. He really wanted God to be his king. And I know for us, we'd say the same, wouldn't we? Yes, 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 Jesus is king. I want him to be king. But if, let's say, your life was represented by a stick of rock, and on the end it said Jesus is king, and on the other end it said Jesus is king, would Jesus is king go throughout? You'd say it with your mouth, perhaps, and you'd give it with your finances, perhaps. But are you trusting him for your family? Are you trusting him for your job? Are you trusting him for your situation? Is he king over everything? Are you giving him all things? Is he king of your emotions? Is he king of your ambitions? Is he king of your future? Is he king of your past? Is he really king? Abraham had a little test here. And it wasn't just about rescuing Lot. It was about who he was gonna trust in. Who was he gonna proclaim king of his life? Who was he gonna trust in? Where was he gonna get his security? What was he gonna give his devotion to? And the same challenge comes to us today. This is an exciting episode in Abraham's life. It's worthy of an action movie. But as we said, the true battle happens in his heart. And your life might be exciting, it might be dull. But the true battle is always in our heart. Is Jesus king of everything in our lives? Whether you're like the person at the bottom of the bouncy castle just bouncing around, you can't get up. I can't get up. Is Jesus king? Or do you say Jesus is king over these things, even though I feel downtrodden and out of it? Can you proclaim that? because he's the king above worldly powers. When we're at the top of the castle, we're successful. We're reigning in life, so to speak. We feel like we're, we've got it sorted and nailed. Can we humbly say, no, no, I'm not king. Jesus is king. And with our everything, can we trust him? Can we give it all to him and say, you are the king. Please reign in every single area of my life. I don't want to trust in wealth. I don't want to trust in relationships. I don't want to get my security from anything but you, Lord. I thank you for the blessings that those things are. I know they're not wrong in their own right, Lord. But I want to be the one who trusts you. I want to be the one who proclaims this. Jesus really is the king of my life.